You're listening to the Alternate Rhythm Podcast, a youth ministry podcast and resource designed to help youth pastors and leaders lean into alternate rhythms based on the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm Jared. And I'm Nestor. We're your co-hosts, and we're excited to have this conversation today about how the Revised Common Lectionary can breathe life into youth ministry and Christian discipleship. But before we get to this conversation, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at alternate underscore rhythm podcast. Send us a message, comment on our stuff, and share it with a friend if you would like. And so now it is time for us to begin our conversation. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. This is our second episode in our Advent series called waiting. And so today we're going to take you through the text in Isaiah, which is Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 through 11. But before we do that, we find ourselves at this time, at least when we're recording this on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but also more importantly, the first day of Advent, where we are at two different holidays, right? We have the Thanksgiving holiday that just happened, and we are beginning Advent, this time where we wait and prepare ourselves for Christ to come as a baby, but then also for Christ to come again to redeem the world. And so I figured to start a conversation off today, I would ask Nestor first, well, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was pretty sweet. Um, so we spend it uh, non-traditionally uh, with coronavirus and everything going on. Um, most of our family, both my wife and I, family are back in Puerto Rico. Uh, so we decided to go on a vacation, which we hadn't had in a while. And so we spent uh, Thanksgiving week in the Smoky Mountains, uh, first in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And then we went to Asheville, North Carolina. And we loved both of those places. It was very refreshing and renewing for us. And so Thanksgiving day, we just spent a really chill day. We might've gone out for dessert and we actually had uh, Chinese food for Thanksgiving. So yeah, it was chill. It was, we read, we hung out. Um, we loved it. How'd you spend Thanksgiving, man? We decided to do a staycation. And so Thursday was our first day of the staycation. And, and yeah, we hung out, we made a traditional Thanksgiving meal, uh, with Turkey and all that. And it was great. Uh, it was the first time I had ever prepared a Turkey and it turned out pretty well. Lauren made a great gravy. You know, we had great green. I love green bean casserole. That's one of my favorite dishes. And so it was just a good time. We hung out, ate good food, watched a few movies, and it was just a relaxing day. Uh, last week, this would be week two in our series on Advent. And so last week, Nestor talked with us about uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 64 and, and how like in the waiting... God is present with us, molding us like a potter molds clay. And I think that's just a really important concept to be thinking about in our waiting because waiting sucks. And a lot of times we can be focusing on that which, for which we are waiting, right? Whether it be for school to begin, for Christmas to come, whatever it might be, we're so focused on that that we miss the present. And I think the Christian life is like that too. Sometimes we just focus on the kingdom and the future when the kingdom is in its fullness that we miss out that it's not just the destination that God cares about, but it's the journey, 
where God is with us in the moments, shaping us and molding us into God's image. And I don't know if I'm saying this word right, excuse my English, but um, there's, there's a term that describes um, that temptation for the church, specifically um, escapism. Uh, we tend to go to escapism or to be escapists, um, however you say that. And it's this, um, we're, we're living elsewhere in another reality in our heads. And we miss out on all that God is doing in our waiting. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm hopeful that uh, younger generations, uh, like the ones that we have the extreme honor to minister with and to, uh, will, will challenge that norm. There's so much beauty in the now that we can miss when we focus fully on the, on the future. Uh, and so I, again, as we are doing each week when we're talking about our series, we're gonna go through the, the flow of hook. So how are you reeling them in? How are you grabbing their attention? Book, that's your biblical exegesis. That's where I like to read the scripture. You don't have to read it there. Look, what is our, like, what does this life look like? Because all of our lessons should be speaking to our teens and to our people in a way that changes how they invites them into a new way of living. Right. And then, uh, took, what can we take away from that? And so for the hook, I would start off talking about like that, the whole idea of reminding our, our, our teens that God is present in our waiting, shaping and molding us, which I think that concept is going to be really important for our conversation today as well. So it serves uh, multiple purposes. And then I think, again, I would, I would just acknowledge that tension of like, where, how are people waiting? For example, I think one thing that comes to mind is not being stuck in the house. Um, and that can be uh, for many different reasons, right? It could just be out of boredom. It could be for reasons of you just need to see people. Uh, but then I think there might be some people and some teens in our, in our ministries that they're stuck in, in home situations that aren't the greatest. And so they're waiting to get out of that. And, and so acknowledging different ways that we, our teens might be waiting during this time. Yeah, I think some of our, at least in, in my youth group, um, unfortunately, uh, we've had some families and even some of my students that have uh, been infected with coronavirus. And so they experience waiting in quarantine um, to, I mean, we're getting all these news about how horrible the disease is. In some cases, um, we've had loss in our own community because of coronavirus, um, a parent of a teen, a student actually. And so um, the, this waiting, am I going to get better? How is this going to work? Is this going to get worse? How is it going to get worse? Uh, what kind of symptoms am I going to get? So, uh, I mean, at, at least in my case, I've had students that have actually experienced the deep, intense waiting of having coronavirus, not knowing what to expect from that. Uh, and then those days, those really long days of just trying to figure out what am I going to do? I'm feeling worse today. Where is this going? Should I go to the hospital now? Should I not go to the hospital? And all the questions that come with that. Uh, so this has been a season of many different types of waiting. In this part, I would use maybe a few serious and non-serious examples, right? So maybe you, you look at the different uh, scenarios in which people are waiting to leave their house, right? Or like a, a funny one that I saw is that some people are just really 
waiting and excited to go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. I think being real with our teens is important and not trying to make the waiting seem to be some great experience, but saying like, it can suck. Like waiting for things can really be difficult. And, and then I would transition into talking about how in the waiting or when we're experiencing difficult things, the natural response for us is to find comfort. And, and finding comfort is really a, a coping mechanism for people when life is not going the way that we want it to, when life is difficult, when we're waiting, whatever it might be. And so thinking about that, I would then tell a story about a time that I sought comfort or things that I find comfort in. And so Nestor, what, what do you find comfort in? And I, I guess for me, and, and this is interesting as a, something I've struggled with even as a youth pastor, but there might be a youth pastor out there that is on the same boat and just, it's a good reminder that um, there's a couple of us, but I'm an introvert. And so, uh, which plays out in just getting really tired. I love being around people and it played out in my teenage years in extreme shyness and um, just drawing into myself. But nowadays, like I love being around people as I've grown in ministry and I love being around students, but I forget how draining and tiring it can be. And so something that brings me comfort when, I, when I'm in that stage of just feeling extremely tired uh, is just time in solitude. And so it's really important for me to take moments to just be uh, with myself and, and rest and renew and, and remember that those things that feel heavy might just feel heavy because I'm extremely drained and tired. Part of our job as, as pastors, leaders, directors, whatever leadership position you find yourself in is to help our teens cope well, right? Like we all, like there's nothing wrong about coping. Like we need to cope with things. And, and so helping our teens find healthy coping mechanisms. You can do that. You can use that opportunity to share or give practical tools. You could give a funny story. For example, I might share a story of a time when I wanted to be comforted, but wasn't. I worked as a barista, uh, and one time someone got mad because I put ice in their lemonade. And they got so mad, it wasn't written on the cup. And I don't know if she said it or not, but um, she may have, she may have not. Uh, but this woman was so mad at me for putting ice in her lemonade which was Costco lemonade, by the way. She spent like three bucks for or four bucks for Costco lemonade. I thought it was funny. And, but then she like literally picked the ice off the top of her drink and flung it at me. And I was so mad. And then my manager, one of my managers was right there. And all they said was, so do you want us to remake that for you? Like I wanted to be comforted in that moment, but that's not what my, my manager wanted to do or felt would be best. I would say this, this might not be part of the topic. Um, it might fit in. I don't know. I'm just going to share that thought. I think also as, as tempted as we feel as humans to, to, be, to feel comforted, not tempted, it's human nature in moments of waiting or, or of pain to, to seek comfort. It's also, uh, uh, I guess, human nature. It's, it's geared within us to seek to comfort others and we can do that in good ways and sometimes we could also do it in in bad ways and i remember uh one of my deepest moments of waiting which was like an eternal wait um after hurricane maria um 
wiped through uh, the island of Puerto Rico. I, it was three days before I heard from my parents or any family member and to know that they were alive. And a lot of people would, you know, hit me with the classics. Um, this is all going to be okay. God has a purpose in this. Uh, all these things that are supposed or meant or intended to sound comforting, but just weren't in that moment because I was in this deep, dark space of waiting. And honestly, mostly I just wanted to be able to cry with someone or to be able to, to be embraced in a moment with someone, but everyone was just trying to correct my, my weight, my, my seeking comfort by throwing these phrases at me that ended up being not too comforting. Um, so that's I, I mean, just even expressing ways in which we've, we've been, that people have tried to comfort us and not miss the mark and maybe even made it worse. And, and just how lonely it could feel to be in a place where even when people try to comfort you, it's not too comforting and it just makes everything even harder to go through. Yeah. And those moments, really what matters is our presence, right? As pastors, as leaders, like we are that symbol, the sign of God's hope of, of God. Not that we are God, but we are that tangible, that physical representation. And sometimes we can really um, mess that up by opening our mouths. And so sometimes we just need to be present and just be with people um, that's really difficult for me because I love talking and silence makes me feel uncomfortable at times. Then I would trance, I would, um, I would go, man, my brain is not working. It is 8.30 on a Sunday night. I am, I am exhausted. Uh, so I would go from that to then the book section. So we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 through 11. This is the beginning of what biblical scholars call Second Isaiah. First Isaiah was written before they were in exile. And then second was during and after, right? And, and so there's this transition from judgment to salvation. But there's been so much time that has passed, right? There's been, you know, around over 100 years of waiting that the people have from when they first heard this message of what was going to happen to them, then finding themselves in their waiting and waiting to be led out of that. Which interestingly, there might already at this point be generations that have grown up with a mindset of waiting um, that don't have a previous point to look back at. Like this is, this is their existence is stories of what was that they never experienced and this idea that might sound like utopia of of what could be but there are generations being formed by waiting uh, which i think is an interesting connection with like how like i did i wasn't in high school or middle school when during a pandemic and i i wonder how the waiting that a lot of our students have experienced will shape this next generation moving forward into adulthood um, and so you have generations that are listening to this scripture that are producing scripture like this that have grown up in in waiting. This is this is who they are. This is all they know. I I see really four movements in this passage. The first is verses one through two, and here Yahweh, God, he proclaims comfort. Right, and this is why we use comfort as 
as the the hook because Yahweh started his his word of comfort and so connecting that to our with our teens right there I think would be important important right and so he and he named what you just n- named right that they have spent a long time in exile generations and generations there are people who have passed away in exile there are people who all they've ever known is exile and so this this might seem to be this seems a lot longer than quarantine though right like i know some of our quarantine waits that seemed forever back when that happened whenever that was april may uh i don't know it it just seemed like it went on forever it seems like it's been centuries but it hasn't been it's yeah we're still within the same year we're still in the same year, but Believe not church not. year, but not church year. We started right. a new year today. Right. Happy and, new year. Happy new year. But yeah. And so they, 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 he really point brings out this, the tenure, this long tenure of, of waiting. And so I think that it's important though, to mention that this comfort is going to be robust, right? It's not just going to be, you know, me eating some ice cream after a bad day right? Like that might comfort me in the moment or snuggling up in this really nice blanket that's really comfortable. But this is really breathing in hope and restoration. Their whole life for those who will then be brought out of exile is going to change, right? And, And so here Yahweh is seen as comforting the people. And then he he moves from that to then he gives the exiles the people who are in waiting, a a job to do. He calls them to be active, right? A lot of times when we talk about waiting, and this is, I think, why we've decided to do this series is to to bust this myth that waiting doesn't mean I just sit on my hands and, and wait for something to happen. God calls us to do things when we wait. And we'll look at this. We're looking at this today. We're going to look at it more some next week. But, but God, Yahweh tells the people that they need to be active, right? They need to be doing things as they wait. And so he said, and I think this is interesting as I was reading it, just as there was this voice that was speaking comfort, they then are to be a voice in the wilderness, right? They are to be a people that, that proclaim that the world must be ready for what God is going to do because God is going to act, right? God's deliverance, I think, again, it's important to, fo- to, to look at these verses to see that God's deliverance happens in the wilderness, right? Sometimes when we want people to act or to, to deliver us, it would be nice for, that, for them or for God to just take us out of that situation right there, right? Like, boom. You're, you're no longer in that. But it is yet through the wilderness that God walks with the people to deliver them. And, and I think in most of our waiting, it's going to look like that. We're going to have to navigate the difficulty of our waiting, whatever that might be. But yet, God is still there. God is present with us, like we talked about last week, molding us like a potter molds their clay and so the wilderness is not ideal right and in, in, in biblical times the wilderness would be dangerous there wouldn't be natural resources there are dangerous animals it is isolated 
but yet it is the place to which God shows up, right? So God can, I think, transform and be present in even our most barren situation, our most barren waiting times. God is there and God can lead us through those times. And then I think this too, for those of you who have who listened to this this passage, you might be thinking, I've heard that before, but maybe not in this particular context. This is where John the Baptist uses this idea of a voice calling out in the wilderness, right, uh, to help frame his mission in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then we can train... Uh, Again, man, I don't know what this word is that I keep wanting to say, but it's not it's not happening tonight. Uh, verses six through eight. I'm just not going to say it anymore. You know, that's that's life. Uh, I just got off another Zoom call right before this. Transition, transition, transition. Bro. All right, so we're transitioning to verses six through eight, and here, I think this is really where we need to spend some time just like reflecting on it, because I think this is important, not only for our, for our teens, but in our world, because Yahweh reminds the people that salvation comes from God, not humankind. And, and as I'm even reflecting on that now, I wonder what would happen, how they heard this, because they're in a world in which they are captive by superpowers, Right. There are people who have been dominating the entire world, and it can seem like they have all of the power, but yet Yahweh compares all human power to that of grass and flowers, which basically means that they're powerless. They wither away. They, they're powerless compared to God's power, right? God is the one who has power, to move and to bring people outside of exile. And another interesting thing, uh, I don't know how many of you are Hebrew scholars. I'm not, but I've heard this word used a lot in my seminary time and and commentaries that I've read. But hesed is mentioned here in verse 6, but it's not the usual translation. A lot of times hesed is talked about as loving kindness, Uh, covenant loyalty, just talking about how God will be faithful to the covenants that God has made. God is the ultimate expression of love, those type of things. But here, it talks about God's reliability. In verse 6, I have to turn the page. He says, all flesh is grass, and all its trust like the flowers of the field. And altar here translates Hesed as trust, right? And so God is reliable versus humankind's not being reliable, right? And and so this makes me think this is so countercultural, right? A lot of times, especially in the United States, we find ourselves in this in a culture where we we just need to, you know, bring us up ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're very individualistic minds. We think that we are the hero of our own story, right? Even a lot of the greatest sagas, movies, things that we watch, it's the there's this main character who just pushes through, and then they come out on the other side, 
That's the narrative that we find ourselves in. And I think that's the narrative that our teens have. That's the narrative that families in our church have. And we, we really need to help, I think, our people realize that, that God is the one who can bring us out of that, right? There's nothing that we can do on our own to take us out of and lead us into the shalom that God wants, out of that exile. Uh, but I also think it, not only from the more individualistic mindset, I think there are also people who, who then turn to unhealthy ways to navigate that, right? Whether that's going back to unhealthy coping mechanisms, right? Whether it is turning to substances that aren't healthy, whether it's turning to relationships that, that aren't healthy, right? And, and really recognizing that through this time, it is God who will be the one who can bring all of us out of our waiting, right? As we wait for the kingdom of God. And, and so how do you think we can communicate to our teens the importance of trusting in reliability when that's so countercultural? I, it's a tough one because it is countercultural. I think it's, there needs to be a reshaping of the way we, of our worldview in this process. And because we are constantly told that we need to, we need to grow our independence. That's like a value in this culture. It's not valuable to be dependent upon others. Um, like we, we sadly, like we were part of generations where, um, I mean, I'm not, every situation's particular, uh, but like we're, we're part of generations that don't have the time to even care for aging parents. Um, like we, we hand that off and, and we're, we, we don't want to be dependent on either in a way. Um, like we, we just don't see that as valuable and people who become dependent um, lose value in our society. So uh, I think it, as we constantly share the story, which is even part of what we're going to do entering into teaching from the lectionary, I think just sharing these stories that also connect with our stories as ministers that are being vulnerable with our students and with their stories, I think reliability is something that you just need to, like we, specifically this generation is not one that you can say, well, you just trust in God because God is God. And I think there needs to be a walk and a growth in trust. Um, so this, I think just walking students through the lectionary will be a way that we will ultimately help them trust in God's reliability. But pointing to stories like this one, like the fact that these people didn't end, like the, the exile in which they were in ended. Um, they were brought out of that. And it's always, I always love like sharing stories like this with students and being like, you know, for us, we know the end of the story. Um, recently, I spoke of Joseph, and I was like, Joseph's uh, end of story is pretty cool. But when Joseph was in the midst of it, probably didn't think it was pretty cool because he didn't know where it was going. Uh, but just even showing that, that the story ended where it ended, and God constantly does that with people's stories throughout Scripture, and we're going to be going into those stories throughout the year. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's, that's the best way. Just bringing students into the story is the best way to, to help them become reliable and then helping point out ways in which God is at work 
in, in the midst of what's happening. Uh, like today I had uh, students write letters of gratitude to people that have been life-giving amidst this whole pandemic. Uh, because it's easy to think of all the things that annoy us, but to stop and say, oh, but God has placed these people in my life that have been life-giving and that have brought uh, hope in the midst of this. And just remembering that and writing it down and thinking through it, it's like, oh, you know, I can trust God because God is here in the moment. So, but it's a tough one because I think more than ever, students are wanting to, they, they don't just give out trust. <laughs> I think previous generations, there was a sense of, you know, God is God, authority is authority. We just, we just trust that. But there, there's a sense of proving oneself. And I think students test God even. So walking them through stories is important. We might even have to help people envision our students envision what reliability means because there might be teens in our community who no one has ever been reliable. They don't have a person that they can call if they need help, right? They, they might always just have to be their own quote unquote hero because they don't have anyone else, right? And, and so they even have this understanding of reliability of no one's reliable, Right. And so if no one's reliable, why should God be reliable? You know, Um, and so being prepared to maybe even walk through that with some of your teens. Uh, And and I also liked how you you mentioned that helping our teens see where God is at work in our world. Right. That's really the work of a spiritual director, which I think is another one of the many hats that we carry as pastors, um, as as leaders. Right. Helping people experience and see God at work in our daily life. We're going to transition. I got it this time. Transition to, hey. to, the, to the last part of this passage versus, oh, one actually before we transition, another thing that I want to hit on to really, to really uh, hit this point in the this is this is kind of like, yeah, I'm sorry, but I just got I got to laugh at the fact that you said it right for the first time, but we weren't actually transitioning. I know, I know. That's how my brain works, right? Dude, I think it's important. There's something that uh, that we shouldn't miss in here is that there's the same phrase said twice, right? And so whenever that happens in scripture, whether it's twice, three times, seven times, like I think it's important for us to to focus on that. And that's in verses seven and eight, where they say, grass dries up, the flowers fade, for the Lord's wind has blown upon it. The people indeed is grass. That is the translation. The people indeed is grass. Grass dries up. This is verse eight. Grass dries up, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so really the the person writing this is really comparing God to the people. Again, this reliability that the people aren't reliable. They're not going to be able to save themselves. The, the world power of the time, they're not reliable, but yet it is God, Yahweh, who is the one who is reliable, the one who can bring people out of their exile, right? And and so now we will transition to verses nine through eleven. I'm on fire. I'm on fire right now. Whoa. Three times. Whoa. Three times. 
it's kind of like an NBA jam, right? When when you like make a few shots and then who's on fire? Wow, NBA jam. Don't share that with your students. They may not know what that is. They probably won't. Uh, I've been okay boomered a few times. I'm like, I'm closer to your generation than I am a boomer. Also, <laughs> don't disrespect your elders. Uh, NBA jam sounds old though. It does. Uh, so transitioning to verses nine through 11, I'm just going to keep saying transitioning. Dude. Count how many times I say it correctly in this podcast versus incorrectly, and we'll see. It's, right. it's been two correct at this point. No, it's been four. We're four. four uh, I've said it correct four times and incorrect three times. So I'll just choose to believe you. We must you're reliable. Pro- so verses nine <laughs> through 11, I see what you did there. Uh, yep. We again see that the people are given a a task to do in the waiting right again waiting is not about just sitting back and waiting for god to move but the people are given this responsibility to go up on the mountain mountains are really high and and to proclaim that god is the one who is going to bring them out of exile right they have this role the translation that from which i read said uh oh herald of zion Right, heralds are people who tell of what God is about to do or what someone's about to do. They're not the person that the story or message is being told about, but yet they are the storytellers. They are the message tellers, right? And so they are given this responsibility to tell the world of the deliverance that God is going to have. And in it, we both see or to bring, and and it's we see that God is both one who comes with power we see uh in verses 10 look the master lord shall come in power his arm commanding for him look his reward is with him his wages before him so those are that's very powerful language but then in verse 11 like a shepherd he minds his flocks and his arm he gathers lambs and in his lap, he bears them, right? And so we see here that God is both a God of power, but a God of mercy, a God of comfort. Again, looking back at the beginning of this passage. And then I think this is really a way that you could connect it to the Mark text. If you want to bring in Mark chapter one, right? That was really the role of John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was not the Messiah, but yet he pointed to the Messiah and the kingdom that, that would be coming into the world through Jesus Christ, right? And so ultimately, uh, one of the major themes in this passage, I think, is that it reminds us of God's ability to work, right? God is reliable. God can bring us out of this situation. And it gives us this task to be active participants in that role, right? Which can seem to be like a contradiction if we read this passage, right? If we're just flowers, if we're just grass, why would it matter if we are active participants? But it is because God has always identified with a people, right? Looking back at the Old Testament, God called a people through uh, Abraham. And then after that, God called the church, right? So God has identified with the church and we have this role as the, the church to be, as God's people, to be active participants in that waiting. Another thing to potentially think through, I don't think we have time to discuss it on this, is 
but what would it be like for those people who waited and they passed away and they didn't get to see what this being brought out of exile looks like, right? Because they were also participants in that exile, right? God, um, sometimes God's deliverance looks different than what we would hope for and even and want in our situation. And so that might be something to be thinking about as you communicate that, right? And so then I would transition from this to the look section. And so really here, just hammering in, well, what does it mean to be an active participant in the world? And, and I really think that that means aligning ourselves to God's action, right? Shaping, putting our lives, looking at our lives. Again, this really comes out in, in the Mark chapter one text where, where he tells people to repent and to be baptized, right? To turn away from their ways of living and align themselves with the kingdom of God, right? So we can be active participants by aligning ourselves with God and God's kingdom. So do you have maybe some practical ways that we can do that, Nestor? I think, I think one thing is, so I'm constantly trying to uh, express to students that, um, that prayer is at many times a commitment, um, more than it is an expectation that God will, I mean, there are prayers where we honestly have nothing to do, but just trust. Uh, but sometimes we pray for stuff like, you know, God just bring peace to people's hearts amidst this pandemic. Instead of thinking about, you know, what could I do to, to help people um, see light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, and, and so like I, one thing I'm hoping to do soon with a small group of students is, uh, we have a lot of elderly people in our church that just haven't really been back to services because of fears of coronavirus. Um, and they're, they're taking care of their health and, and they're trying to, to figure out how to best care for themselves. So uh, writing letters and, and expressing our love and, and just trying to seek bringing hope and peace to a home through a letter, uh, through a reminder that you're not forgotten. I think that's a way to be an active participant. Like how can we, I remember towards the beginning of quarantines and uh, when all of this happened, people leaving cookies at people's doors and all these beautiful things that were happening and we sort of waned. Um, and I think now that uh, we were just so desperate and tired of waiting that in some places like um, part of, of the nation I'm in, uh, there were uh, places where we just were done with waiting and, and now we're having some spikes in cases and we might be going back to how this all started pretty soon. And so uh, just hopefully we go back to some of that too, uh, to being creative in expressing hope to people. And instead of sitting around and being like, "What's well, going to be over, um, what can I do for others? So putting others um, at the forefront and not just sitting in my own self-pity, uh, whatever that might be, uh, I think that's a good way to, to, to get out of, out of our desperation and the waiting and to see that there's so much that we can do as we wait. Um, service to others, man, that would be my answer. It's a good answer. Jesus modeled that 
himself, right? In his his life. And that's really what we're going to be talking about next week when we're going to be be Jesus, bro. Like that's all I'm trying to do. Retweet. I want to be like Jesus. Uh, And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, We're going to be talking about seeking justice, right? In the waiting that when, when we don't know what to do, when we're in the waiting that, that we need to, to start to seek justice and compassion because those are, things that God cares about, right? Because God is a just and compassionate God. And so I think you, I think you gave some good examples of being active participants, right? Seeking to be, bring hope, to be God's representation in, in those moments, right? Um, I, think it, I think it means sometimes that we might have to, if we were to look at Mark chapter one, there are things in our lives that are keeping us from participating in the kingdom of God. Or are things that are maybe in our life that um, are counter the values of the kingdom. They value things that the kingdom does not fully value. And so coming to a place where we allow God to make us aware of that and to then take the steps needed to then live in a life that seeks first the kingdom of God, as Matthew chapter 6 talks about right and so here uh just really i would what i'm planning on doing is talking about being an active participant right not just waiting but seeking uh to to be moving forward whether it's through acts of love um whether it is doing some inward work and seeking well where in my life do i value things that the kingdom doesn't value whatever it might be uh, that's what i would focus on there i'm probably going to tell a story about how um, I, at NTS, I got easily distracted, right? Uh, that's where I went to seminary, Nazarene Theological Seminary. Uh, I would get distracted sometimes on my laptop uh, because I could send emails. There's this thing called social media that was at my fingertips, right? And, and so during lectures, it could be easy for me to, to, to not always pay the most attention. And so I started during my uh, time not even bringing my, or I'd bring my laptop because I always carried my laptop with me, but I would not have my laptop open. I'd normally have it in my bag and I would have a a pad of paper and I would just take notes by hand. And and so I, I might tell that story as a way of saying that like, we need to make these changes potentially in our lives from things that are distracting us from the kingdom to help us better wait in the present, right? And so you could do that. You could talk about aligning with like tires being aligned because once we align ourselves, uh, we're all going in the, the way of the kingdom, whatever it might be, talking about, well, how can we during this time of waiting be active participants by aligning ourselves to the kingdom of God. And so then I would transition to the, the look section. And this is where the big idea comes out. And the big idea is this, our time took section took section. I, mean, I said, look, oh, yeah. I? you said, look, you're good, bro. You said, you've good. said look like three times too. It's tied with transition. Yeah. It's tied with transition. <laughs> Bro, you're just going to point out all my flaws tonight. It's all good. <laughs> I'm not trying to point and out. Christian, uh, he's not being very I just don't want people tonight. to be confused on the podcast and be like, man, we're looking a lot. We are looking um, a lot. But they yeah. have to, they have to, yeah, it has to be tooketh at the end, yeah? Tooketh. Something tooketh. has to be tooketh. 
It has to be taken. It has to be taken. Took it sounds better. It's more Fair biblical. Enough. Fair enough. All right. So going to the big idea and the took section is this. Our times of waiting are an opportunity to align our lives with God's action in the world. And so really focusing in, I think, on two, two things. First, God is the one who would deliver us from the brokenness, the chaos, the, the sin in our world. And so it, it focuses on how God is going to act. But then we have this responsibility, right, of aligning ourselves as active participants. And so as we've talked about every week, uh, we, we want to offer our students a practice to then put this into their daily lives. And so I think one way uh, you mentioned earlier about going through a small group with teens. I'm also doing the same thing. Um, and, and right now we're reading the celebration of the discipline by Richard Foster. And this week we talked about, that was actually the call I was on right before this, but we talked about simplicity and what it means to live a simple life. And, and Foster really talks about what makes Christian simplicity different than just, you know, be trying to live a simple life. So I forget the name of the lady on Netflix who is really popular for a moment on like organizing your, uh, your house or whatever, get rid of everything. Um, Marie Kondo, is that her name? It's yeah. Uh, what? I think so I think so. So what makes Chris, the, the discipline of simplicity, a spiritually formative practice in that sense is that, and puts it in its right place is that, we're not just, you know, getting rid of our excess stuff just to get rid of it. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but we're doing it so that we can seek the kingdom of God first, that we can find freedom from our materialism, that we can find freedom from our need for power, right? So that we can find freedom and whatever it might be to then seek the kingdom of God first and then change that. And then all that's how we live a simple life. Right. And so inviting our, our teens into some form of simplicity, whether that is, you know, not spending as much time on social media or not being so focused on getting the new, uh, you know, PS5 or whatever it is, but yet to then align themselves with God's kingdom. And so that's what that's a practice that I think you can invite your students into however you want to take that. Um, it's a pretty simple practice, but it's also complex. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we're running out of time. So uh, we're going to provide some of these resources. Um, that's part of our plan moving forward. I think we mentioned this last week. Um, there's a game that came to mind as we planned, uh, as we look through this text, and some small group questions, but we're just excited that you were that you joined us, that you're listening. Uh, we understand that for some of our listeners, you might not be jumping on to actually teaching some of this um, right away with this Advent season. But as as we walk together, as you see our thought process with the lectionary and teaching that to students, uh, hopefully this will be something that again is life giving to you, but can also be life-giving to your students moving forward. Share this with somebody um, and, and continue to spread the word. Uh, we're, we're really, really excited about this project. We're excited about whoever's listening. So if you're listening to us, 
and you have us on Instagram, alternate underscore rhythm podcast, uh, comment on some of our posts, uh, message us, uh, whatever you, whatever way you can, we'd love to know who's listening, uh, what this meant for you so far. If you have any recommendations for us moving forward and yeah, we're, we're excited to keep, uh, getting better at this with y'all and sharing some resources and happy advent. See you next week. That was a great transition. Thanks, Nestor. See you next week, everybody. Transition. <laughs>